Love Mob Podcast. Alright, yes. Welcome back to the Lava Wild Podcast. Uh, this is the second episode. And it's about my first solo album, Interest Ellington. Now, Interest Ellington was recorded back in 2011. Um, the name was inspired by Pink Floyd uh, and how they came up with their name. Now, Pink Floyd is is basically a mix of two... I think it's two different people. And they were both jazz musicians. And it's like the first name of one musician and the last name of another musician. If, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong on that, but look that up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, but yeah, so uh, for me, it didn't really have that deep of a meaning. It was just kind of combining um, words that sounded cool, basically. So uh, interest, I, I just kind of came up with that to and then the last word Ellington to combine um interesting Ellington um and Ellington being the jazz legend Duke Ellington and so in my mind it was kind of like writing music to th- that would be interesting to Duke Ellington, if that makes sense. But <laughs> yeah, it's it, it doesn't really get much deeper than that, so it's not uh, that deep. <laughs> Sorry if that's a little disappointing, but that's just what it is and what I where I was at my mind state in 2011. So I think it was um, recorded uh, in spring. 2011 and it was spread out from multiple locations where I recorded it. Um, it was partially recorded in Wildemar and San Jacinto, California, and it was also partially recorded at Olathea Music in Hemet, California. Um, and at the time I was living in Banning, I had a house I was renting out with an ex-girlfriend and I basically just traveled from, from there to Wildemar, which was, which is, I think it's about like a 35 minute drive if I remember correctly. Uh, so yeah, just after... I would get off work or on the weekends, I would go drive out there to uh, my friend Matt Rosa's house. And he is the one that recorded the album for the most part. Um, There's a couple songs he didn't do. 
or, or one at least. And, um, yeah, so I, I would just drive out there. It was, um, quite the commute I remember it being, but, uh, it was pretty cool. I remember kind of liking his house that, uh, he was renting out and it was, it was pretty sweet out in the kind of the middle of nowhere in the hills and um and then uh yeah so Kenny Finn recorded and mixed um Lady Love that song and that was at Alethea Music in Hemet and I finally got around to mastering it in 2020. It took a while for me to finally do that. Like it, <laughs> like so. Yeah, the I, I kind of like did a pre-release around the time when I finished it in around 2011, and I, I put I burned it out on on uh, CDs. And would pass them out to friends and anybody that might be interested. Uh, and I never officially released it. And I, I remember even putting on the CD. It was a pre-release. Because um, it was never official. And so finally, in 2020, I released it on all streaming platforms. And... You could find it, just look me up uh, under my full name, James Sterling Cooper, and it should pop up and look up Interest Ellington under my discography. Um, unfortunately, the sessions were not saved, um, which is a common theme with my uh, beginning of my career. Even though the one of the first bands I was ever in, we got we had a semi-professional recording that we did, which the the guy that recorded it um, even kind of gave me that the tip to always get the session files after you're done recording, so you could go back and edit whatever you need to. And I got those session files because he gave them to me, but for some reason I just didn't learn that lesson. And uh, so I had to learn the hard way. And so a lot of my early recordings, I do not have the session files and I cannot go back into them and fix them. Because there's definitely things now that I hear Well, I'm like, wow, yeah, I should probably try to get that fixed, but I can't unfortunately so just gotta live with the way it is and so basically I set out to record this first album um, because I I always had the ability to play all of the rhythm section, which if you don't know what the rhythm section is, it is 
the bass, the drums, the guitar, and keyboards if you want to add that to the sound. And so yeah, I always wondered what it might sound like if I had, if, you know, I could be my own band. And so that's what this, the beginning of writing solo, that's kind of where it came out of. Um, I was pretty much fresh of uh, parting ways with uh, the band I was recording and playing live with right before... I got into this project, uh, but that band's name was Television, Television Rainbow Screen, and uh, I'll be putting out another podcast about that band and all the re- basically all the recordings I've ever done in the past. So that way, I give you uh, just some insight into all the projects I've ever done. If you're interested in hearing that. So, but yeah, back to Interest Ellington, uh, pretty much all the instruments and the vocals you hear were recorded by myself, um, except for the song Low Down Dirty Blues, uh, which had Desmond Walker on, and he sang some verses or one verse or something like that, and uh, and switched off with me on guitar solos. And then also uh, the ending of the song Anchor, or The Anchor, uh, which was done by Matt Rozo, and he played the keys on that last part. And... So yeah, that's kind of just a brief introduction to the beginning of Interest Ellington and how it came about, and here is the first song, a little clip of the song White Speck of Ink. first song White Speck of Ink now White Speck of Ink is a pretty deep song I don't know if uh, most people think as deep as I do but uh, I don't know most of the time I'm, I'm always in deep in thought and it's hard to 
get out of that for me at least but uh, yeah I don't know how you guys are thinking but that's just me but anyways uh, basically white speck of ink is uh, the white speck of ink is supposed to be earth and it's basically supposed to make you think about how vast the galaxy is and the universe when you see uh, I don't know there's there's videos out there of like satellites zooming in on earth from deep into space if you ever you know just look at um, videos of NASA it's uh, it's crazy to see uh, just zooming in from deep in space like how small and insignificant we are um, and so yeah it's it's humbling when you you kind of see how how tiny we are and it uh, it kind of leaves you speechless like <laughs> like how I am when I think about it so I felt like it was it it just demands a song because <laughs> it's how amazing it is I, I don't know when I think of it it, it just it freaks me out but makes me excited and humbled at the same time so um, but yeah the, the song is it, it questions our existence on this earth and why we're here I've always been curious about our existence and our place in this life and uh, this plane of existence. And and uh, throughout the song, I talk about kind of just everyday things that can happen on Earth uh, in this cosmic soup that we live in. And one of those things I talk about is uh, natural disasters uh, in the second verse, I think it is. And there's the lyric, water pushing past its normal limits, which um, I wrote about the Japan tsunami that happened around that time. I think it was around 2011. Um, I don't have that information on hand, but... I think it was around that time. And yeah, that that had a pretty I mean anytime there's a some sort of natural disaster or earthquake or anything, it just reminds you of how tiny we are, you know. So many people get on these ego trips that they're like, "Oh, you know, this is 
you know, I'm the shit. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, look at, look at this nice car I drive or, and look at all these nice things that I have. And, and, you know, people get caught up in their ego, but when natural disasters happen, it has a way of shaking you out of that and uh, realizing how tiny you really are. Um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of about how absurd, absurdly unique our position is to be on this earth and exist in such a vast universe where we may or may not be alone. Uh, which kind of draws me off on the topic of aliens, you know, so, uh, like you, you know, you know, from the first podcast, if you listen to that, uh, I was brought up pretty religious. Um, but yeah, like aliens have always been a fascinating subject for me. Um, because I know how vast the universe is, you know, I see videos on it all the time and, um, it's just hard to believe that they don't exist, you know? Um, it's just, (laughs) it's just too big. It's too big to, um, deny that some, I mean, we, we can't even fathom how big it is. So, when you think about the, the furthest reaches of the galaxy that you could think of, or the universe, and, and then to think that that may be, like, not even far at all, (laughs) you know, it's, it's hard to believe that there isn't something else out there. So traveled and, and the way I've, although uh, I've always you know, looked at it was through any of these, you know, if we travel, so if like, we travel to, we, you know, Elon so the way I have, I've always looked at it was, you know, if we travel to, you know, Mars or any other planet that exists outside of just being on Earth, we become the alien. We become the Martian because we're foreign to that place. And if anything intelligent existed on there, we would be aliens. (laughs) You know? So that's just the way I look at it. And yeah, to me it makes sense just wanted to share that <laughs> with you you guys um but but yeah so anyways back to the universe it's just to me it's just so it's huge massively huge and i always kind of like freak myself out uh, thinking about if you just look down at your feet and you think or up you just look up at the ceiling and you just imagine that as far up or down or left or right or diagonal or whatever way you look, it goes on 
forever, you know? <laughs> it just, every time I think of that, I'm just like completely just dumbfounded and I don't know, <laughs> it freaks me out. It gives me anxiety sometimes actually when I think about it, but yeah, so that's just kind of a little uh, insight into where I was going with White Speck of Ink. So yeah, that was basically White Speck of Ink in a nutshell, and this next song is called Ocean Goddess. Ocean Goddess, the second song on the album. So this song uh, is basically a fantasy song. Uh, it's in the realm of mythical, and it's basically a love song, like about someone being in love with a mermaid <laughs> and uh, the mermaid is the ocean goddess and it's definitely symbolic of my dream wife and uh, whoever my soulmate is And, uh, yeah, it's, I love writing love songs and romanticizing about, about that because I love it. I love romantic things and love is one of the greatest things in the world you could ever have and... So I love writing about it and I love talking about it like most people do. Um, but, you know, also, it's also about, you know, like dreaming outside of the concrete jungle, like the lyric says. It's good to get out of the concrete jungle sometimes and get back into nature and forget about this life of capitalism sometimes it's just like a never-ending game of making money and paying bills you know so that's kind of what 
that lyric was about. Um, but yeah, forgetting about that and diving deep into your romantic relationship and disappearing into the ocean. I've always been really fascinated with the ocean and uh, how big it is. Uh, Growing up in Southern California, I would always go to uh, the Southern Coast, um, Southwestern Coast. uh, You know, I spent a lot of time... um, I used to go to Oceanside a lot because it was one of the closest ones and one that I kind of grew up going to with my family. And um, But from there I branched out and would, went south and some of my favorite beach spots are right there in between San Diego and Oceanside. And those are like my favorite stomping grounds. Like anytime I th- think about the beach, those are the beaches I that I remember. And it I don't know, the beaches is so powerful to me and so inspirational. And every time I go into the water and just absorb it. Like I, I just feel so, so much more at peace and, and, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do. And so it made sense to write a song about the ocean. I love ocean themed anything really. Um, but yeah, on the song, uh, the guitar solo you hear, that's one of the first... It's kind of like the beginnings of my guitar sound. Uh, I mean, I recorded other solos in the recording before this with Television Rainbow Screen, which I'll do another podcast on, like I said. and But yeah, this... This is like the third solo that I ever did, I think. And it's it's a favorite for me to go back to and listen to and to hear how far I've come from, you know, these early raw recordings. And it was like towards the beginning of when I started branching out of my bass plane started diving deeper into the guitar
Song three is the anchor. The anchor, I remember it always being a crowd favorite. Um, sometimes I would play these like rare solo acoustic shows near my hometown and I would always uh, hear people you know, like I could just see it in the crowd like people perking up when I would play it and uh, and people even afterwards letting me know like you know that was one of their favorites you know which I always appreciate you know it's always cool when I hear feedback from from the, the fans out there Um, the anchors I kind of touch in, onto uh, jealousy and how it consumes your thoughts um, I've what, like, one of my first relationships I ever had it, it was a huge learning lesson for me and And it, it ended badly, and it broke me, you know, like, as a, you know, you know, when you're in your first relationships, you don't know, <laughs> you don't really know what you want, you know, it's, uh, you're just kind of going with the flow and with the, the, uh, emotions that are happening, and... And so, for most people, when they break up with their first girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, it's very devastating. And that's basically what this song is about. It's about uh, one of those first hard lessons you learn. And wondering if it's possible to rebuild from that broken relationship um, and healing from it uh, trust is the anchor um, that's kind of what I'm talking about in the lyrics and how you you need trust to build on a relationship to make it better and stronger and it needs to weigh the boat down the relationship down so it doesn't float away into the distance of the ocean out into the horizon you know it's about like past loves disappearing like they were never anchored and just wondering how it's possible to lose someone you love the last part was uh, inspired by it, that last outro section when the, the song flips on its head and it sounds like a whole different thing fading out. Uh, that was actually inspired by a rap song. I can't even remember <laughs> who it was. I, but I just remember listening to it in this apartment and 
I had an acoustic guitar and I was just trying to jam along with it and that's what came out like it's just I was just following along with the root note of the rap song and then those were the chords that came out of that and um and then when you hear the song end it's I basically just recorded the intro of the next song Lady Love but reversed it I just put the the headphone up and onto the mic and just played that recording of the intro and then just reversed it and it uh, brings a pretty cool psychedelic intro into the next song Lady Love get into it lady love lady love is a song that i wrote for my (laughs) ex-girlfriend it's one of those songs i'm like uh, every time i hear them you know i wanted it to work out but it just did not work out and now i got a recording of it (laughs) and uh it's, it's not bad, you know, I, I still like the song, um, it has its flaws, but it's still a pretty decent jam. Um, but most of the lyrics for this song were inspired by a trip we had going to the Electric Daisy Carnival, I think it is, EDC, uh, and that was in LA. And I think that was 2010 or 2011, something like that. But, um, yeah, it was a, it was a crazy festival. I mean, I, I never was into, uh, EDM that much and she loved it and it was kind of like the the stake that was like prying our relationship apart like I was diving deeper into the classics and rock and roll and jazz and everything at that time and 
And then so hearing all that, uh, like Skrillex and all that crazy, I don't know, man. There's so much of it that when I hear it, it just gives me anxiety. <laughs> so I never understood the EDM scene and uh, why people really like that. I think it's more just for the culture and hanging out with people that are into that scene, I guess. Because the music is... Yeah, I still feel it's not <laughs> that good. Like, it's... I, I mean, there's some of it I like. It's more... I'm more on the side of, like, chill... Chill stuff that uh, isn't as... As uh, jarring to listen to. Definitely gives me anxiety, especially when I'm out in public around too many people. <laughs> so, but... You know, different strokes for different folks, man. I can't, I can't hate too much on it. So, it was still a good time, even though, you know, I kind of feel like you just have to be on ecstasy to enjoy it. <laughs> and I was not down for that at the time, so it wasn't that fun. At the same time, I was kind of just like, man, everyone's just all drugged out. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't down for that at the time, so... Um, but one of the crazy things about that, um, when the festival was going on, we kind of took a break, uh, got away and went to our hotel room that was not far from the Coliseum in LA where they had the Olympics back in the nineties. I think it was, I think it was like early nineties or something. Um, but I, I just remember being in our hotel room and turning on the TV and there was a helicopter view on the news of EDC, like where we were just at, you know, and they're just showing how many people were there and it was definitely a massive gathering and, um, I just remember seeing little John inside of <laughs> the LA Coliseum. That was definitely a memorable experience. And oh man, and, and just seeing how many people were in that Coliseum like was just mind boggling. We were, I didn't even want to get into the pit. There was just n so many people, but we ended up getting on like one of the nosebleeds bleed seats like at the top of the Coliseum. And I just remember looking at, as far, you know, all the way to the other side of the, of the stadium at the top and just, just seeing like everybody wearing like neon glow in the dark, you know, bands and stuff. And it was pretty, uh, crazy to see that. I was, that, that's definitely a memory I'll never forget. Just you know seeing how big that stadium was and how many people were in it and just little john just <laughs> tearing it up and on the uh, stage i mean he wasn't really doing much but people were eating that up yeah <laughs> but um yeah so Oh, and uh, another crazy thing that happened, too. Um, I think it wasn't... 
uh, I think it was like after the festival was over and like a day after we, we left. And, uh, I remember hearing, or it, it might've even been like during that, uh, newscast when we were in the hotel room, um, and seeing the helicopter view and they're talking about like deaths that were happening there and how somebody died of uh, an ecstasy overdose and the crazy thing about that is like I don't know if the person that I saw like kind of in the crowd because like we were watching somebody Uh, I don't know who it was, some DJ, and there was like, it was a huge stage with an awesome light show, and um, I just remember we were talking, we ran into some people we knew, and um, I think it was a little bit before that or after that, Um, but I just remember walking by with my ex, and we were, you know, just going to some other part of the festival grounds. And there was this girl just laying on the, on the concrete and just like totally passed out on ecstasy. And she was for sure on something. And so I always wondered if that was the person that died, which makes that so much crazier. If that was, um, but yeah, it was pretty intense. <laughs> so, you know, and, and other times I, I've been to like a handful of like rave type environments and there's always people that are just like blown out on ecstasy. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, like that person looks like they're freaking like about to die or pass out. And they're in this like crazy crowded environment, just all, in the fetal position almost crouched up against the wall like it's just <sighs> yeah some some people go way too hard in the paint so but yeah this song was actually i think the one and only song that i put on the record that was recorded at Alethea Music and it was mixed and uh, engineered by Kenny Finn. Uh, he used to be the owner. Well, no, he wasn't the owner. He was the manager at the time. And he was a homie. I'd always go in there and he'd hook it up and, you know, give me really good deals on things. Uh, I was going to um, a community college in the area, uh, taking, um, audio technology classes and music classes. I was basically just doing all elective, anything that had to do with music. I, I just ate it up and, uh, was trying to take as much advantage of that as I could. And, um, so yeah, it's been, it was, I'm glad I did that. You know, it gave me the ability to know how to read music and write it and, and to record and know the, the basics. 
and even some advanced techniques you know i learned that i still apply to what i do nowadays um but yeah i'm always learning constantly trying to evolve and get better um but yeah this this recording like yeah kenny <clears throat> there was like a bunch of uh songs that i kind of did around this that session at Alathian music and this was the only one that uh made the cut all the other ones you know i thought were pretty good but uh i don't know especially now when i listen back to them i'm like ah yeah they just don't got that uh that thing that make it pop and uh so yeah didn't make it but uh they might come out eventually you know on some b-side album that i might put out in the future who knows man anything is possible they're still there uh i still listen to them occasionally just to go back in time but uh but yeah, I, so I was going to school for audio technology and all that. And so I networked with Kenny at Alathia Music and got a kind of like a temp um, job. I wasn't even getting paid or anything, but I, I, you know, Kenny just allowed me to be the audio technician. Um you know when in between classes or whatever when i could go there he'd give me the studio and let me bring people in there and you know make some money off them if they you know like i would take a cut of it and then pay the the store uh percentage of that and uh it was pretty cool so it gave me the opportunity to um record these songs and the proximity effect EP that I recorded and is released um, on all the streaming platforms uh, under the band name Television Rainbow Screen, which you know I'll get into more depth on another podcast, <clears throat> but um. So this song, it had another, a good, it had a guitar solo that uh, I think is noteworthy. Um, it's another pretty raw recording as far as my technical ability uh, playing guitar solos. Like I, I was still experimenting with my sound and I was using a, Ibanez hollow body guitar that was still pretty sweet you know looking back on it it's not a bad guitar uh but yeah there's way better guitars especially now like <laughs> if I only knew back then you know how you know that guitar was compared to really high caliber guitars um you know I'd be shocked but I had a pretty um, modest pedal board, and I still do, but it's definitely upgraded nowadays. But uh, I had really simple, a really simple setup 
basically just a wah pedal distortion, a tuning pedal, and a delay. I th- I think I even I don't even think I had a reverb. It was just like three pedals that I mainly used, and uh, yeah, that's the sound that I got at the time and. And, uh, yeah, I still think it's a pretty, pretty decent guitar solo. I mean, uh, I definitely have learned a lot since, but (laughs) I still think it's uh, pretty cool to go back to and listen to, like, basically just my beginnings of guitar playing. The delay pedal was bought by my ex-girlfriend, and that guitar intro for lady love and that delay sound is from that pedal and it was inspired by the self-titled bonavere album um that song on that album called perth it's the first one on the album i love the way that song hit like right when it starts and uh totally influenced my sound at the time. Number five, Low Down Dirty Blues. So this song was uh, recorded in the town that I grew up in, uh, San Jacinto, at Matt's, uh, Matt Rosa's mom's house. He was um, living there at the time, and had a little studio set up in the garage and I brought uh, an old time friend and his name is Desmond Walker now Desmond uh, I met him through the drummer in my first band Eve's Impurity Uh, his dad we kind of built up a relationship over the years and we, we would uh, practice a lot over there at uh, his house. They would let us set up in the living room. And yeah, that was the rehearsal home for 
a long time. And so, yeah, I met him through the drummer's dad, like I said, and uh, he, they were uh, friends. <clears throat> and uh, we would jam out occasionally. And I, you know, he he was a fellow blues lover, so I figured, hey, you know, why not try to record a song with him? Just throw him on my solo album. And a crazy thing about Desmond and his story, like with this song, it just makes it uh, so much deeper and... Uh, it's crazy like so after um, some time after this recording I found out that uh, apparently um, his girlfriend like had cheated on him and he caught them in the act and he just lost it and I guess he had a gun on him or something and he shot the dude and uh, I don't know what happened exactly um, if that guy died or not um, but that's kind of where the story ended for me like as far as the uh, Knowing what happened with that whole thing, I just heard he shot somebody and then was in jail. So, yeah, now this blues song takes like a this blues song takes on a whole new meaning when I hear it. Like it's just it, it makes it so much uh, more haunting. Um, because yeah, before it was just kind of like this for fun, you know playful blues song and then now it's like whoa man this dude's like freaking murder right now I don't know I don't know what happened I mean exactly that's but I don't know I need to figure out the end of that story but yeah that's the the verses that he has he's singing about his girlfriend and um it just makes it so crazy when I hear it now just like it's like almost like leading up to that moment in the things that happen um but yeah it just makes it so much uh, more eerie when I hear it now but uh yeah throughout the song we kind of switch roles I kind of s- s- start the song out with the vocals doing the first verse and the first main like kind of guitar fills you hear that's all for me and then we kind of switch and then he has a verse and then all the guitar parts you hear in between the vocals are from him and and then at the uh, end we kind of just combine the guitar sounds uh, another little fun fact about this song um I'm sure you could probably hear it. I mean, if not, but um, uh, basically, I during the 
the time that we were recording, Matt pulled up the session uh, on a new new screen, like starting over or something and importing the audio. And yeah, there's the audio from like the rhythm track I recorded for the song, like the bass, drums, and guitar. And somehow he had the sample rate <clears throat> changed uh, in the Pro Tools session, which made it like drop the pitch, the overall pitch of the entire song. And uh, when I heard it the first time, or when we all heard it, we were all like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> You know, we were pretty green with recording and stuff, so he didn't know what happened. Um, I didn't know what happened, but f for some reason the song we had been recording was like, sounded completely different. And uh, I, th I think he figured it out later, but uh, I liked it. When I heard it, I was like, whoa, that's, it sounds sweet, like... Uh, it made our vocals sound completely different. And uh, we ended up keeping it like that. And that's the way you hear it. It's, um, I don't know exactly how much down, like uh, further down the pitch is, but it's uh, at least like a half step down or something. But, uh, <clears throat> I thought it was cool because, like, the Beatles used to do that. Um, with reel-to-reel -reel recordings using the tape, it's easier to change the pitch by just slowing the, the rate of speed that the tape is playing. Or you could speed it up and then it makes it sound like a little higher pitch, like Alvin and the Chipmunks type of uh, sound. And so, yeah, when I heard it, I liked it. And, the, yeah, we ended up keeping it. Um, but yeah, this was the first blues recording I ever did. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like just wrote the lyrics about like the first verse you hear. I'm like singing about how, like when I would pick up my guitar, I would, uh, you know, normally I would pick it up and to relieve my, uh, anger whatever you know it's a way it's therapeutic you know and uh yeah there's sometimes where i i would pick it up and it just it didn't do anything for me like and then like i would just still be in the same mood and uh and uh yeah it sucked and so yeah that's kind of what i wrote that verse about like just couldn't shake my blues even with my guitar the thing that gave me the most joy but uh yeah that's what the blues are about you know it's you know it's uh everybody's got the blues you know nobody could escape them um if you live on earth you're gonna have the blues so i always respect them and uh yeah eventually i'll be doing some more you know towards the end of the song it's uh it's crazy, like it's, when you hear Desmond playing the harp at the very end before it starts fading out, like it's just, oh man, that's so haunting when you, when I hear it, it's like I just imagine him 
Just being locked up in jail still, living life. Serving the life sentence in jail, but I don't I don't know. I don't even know. He may be out. He may be hearing this right now. I have no idea. But uh Yeah, crazy backstory to that song. a clip from track six perception of time so this was another song that was recorded at the wildemar location uh, originally it had vocals i decided it was better uh, as an instrumental later on especially while i was doing the, the mastering for this i had a version of it without the vocals and i was just listening to it and i was like yeah, it's, it sounds a lot better that way. and But yeah, every time I hear it, I still hear the uh, vocals in my head. But uh, you guys won't have that. <laughs> you don't get to hear that. Um, but originally it was uh, basically about losing touch with reality and just getting older. And... Um, that's kind of, yeah, that's what the, uh, the title is about. Um, yeah, at the time, you know, I was, uh, 20, 23, 24, I think, around there. Yeah, and, uh, so, you know, I was still a young guy, but, uh, yeah, I still, you know, I could sense, uh, myself getting older, and, uh, it made sense to write a song like that like it just resonated with the way I was feeling at the time and I figured why not you know and uh, kind of wrote it with that uh, I started with that acoustic riff how the song starts and everything that's how the how I came up with it and I you know started experimenting with slide guitar I mean I kind of messed around with that a little bit um throughout my time of playing but this is one of the first songs I ever recorded it and uh it gives it this nice uh yeah kind of laid back feel and I like I like the way it came out um and yeah, I still think it sounds better as an instrumental. Thank you. 
everybody. Thanks for sticking with me. Uh, we come to the conclusion of the podcast with the final song on the solo album, Interest Ellington. <clears throat> now, Interest Ellington was also recorded at the Wildemar location. It's the first song recording using uh, the Pink Floyd, Roger Waters inspired uh, delayed bass line that uh, I've used <clears throat> even later on in um, on the song Lion's Share from my second solo album. Um, but yeah, the, the song is supposed to kind of put you in a trance and uh, even help you fall asleep. I've, I've heard uh, I've heard people tell me that uh, you know it, it's my music is really relaxing and and uh, makes them sleepy and <laughs> I mean it could sound sound like a not a positive uh, thing to hear but uh, you know I don't look at it like that I think it's kind of cool like it's I think it's interesting that uh, I could make music that could put you in this state where you want to fall asleep like it's <laughs> it's like a spell almost uh, it's pretty cool that's pretty much um, there's not much with that song it's another instrumental and it, originally it was going to be like in the middle I was gonna place it somewhere in the middle but it it made sense uh, listening to these songs um, years later to end it with that because it, it gives it more of a kind of nice and calm resolution and uh, an interesting thing that uh, happened during these recording sessions up in Wildemar one day my studio sessions overlapped with Family of Light uh, they were at the time I didn't really know who they were um, I had a friend um, the bass player at the time Bobby Bobby Riddle and um, I would see him occasionally at his old job and just get to talking and he'd, you know tell me he was in this band and him and then the original drummer were the only ones that I I knew in the band I think Matt got in the band first and then they they invited me into the band after this encounter um, so I ran into him in this overlapping session and I ended up meeting all of them I ended up like just sticking around and you know liking the atmosphere um, and I just kind of sat in on their recording session and the drummer uh, he was the, he was stuck on uh the song that they were recording and and uh 
they kept re-recording it and re-recording it over and over and over. And uh, he just could not l- lock in on this this part. And so I, you know, I knew him from, you know, my high school days. And, uh, yeah, we were friends. And, uh, and so I, you know, told him he knew I kind of messed around on drums. And so... I was like, hey, yeah, try it like this, and uh, I let him. He let me get on his kit, and I kind of just busted it out first take, like you know, <laughs> no problem. And uh, yeah, I impressed all those guys and family alike. And uh, that was the start of basically my six-year time with them. After that moment, basically. Um, it was the first time I ever, uh, had been a drummer for a band and it was, uh, pretty, uh, I learned a lot during that time. I always looked at being in a band as a bass player and a guitar player, so seeing it from the drummer's perspective and living in that position for a while and even recording um, in that position was very educational for me Um, and yeah I uh, recorded two EPs with them no one EP and a full length with them as a drummer, uh, the Spear of an Arrow EP and Technicolor and Stereo, the album, um, which is not on streaming platforms at the moment. Um, it just never got done for some reason. Uh, but yeah, th- there's a, a lot of good songs on there. Uh, we recorded that with, uh, Dave Swanson at Love Juice Studios in Riverside, and I have a history with him. <clears throat> He's uh, one of the first people I ever recorded with, and um, and yeah, kind of came back for full circle with him as a you know drummer in this band, and it was a really um, interesting time. Uh, but yeah, eventually the, the album will be up and available, uh, for some reason it just isn't right now. Kind of got sidetracked there, but yeah, that is Interest Ellington. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Um, thanks for listening to the second podcast. Follow me on, uh, social media. I'm on Instagram mainly, uh, Cooper. Um, you could, uh, find me on Spotify, mainly, uh, I'm on most of the, uh, streaming platforms out there, just look up my full name, if you dig this podcast, please rate it, uh, write a v- review if you got time, I definitely appreciate the feedback, if you feel like supporting this podcast, uh, there's a link in the Anchor um, platform to support. There's a link if you want to donate. And, uh, 
appreciate you guys' time. Thank you again for listening and spending this time uh, learning details about my projects. And uh, I look forward to putting out more of these and more music. And stay up. Uh, keep your head up. And keep trucking. No times are crazy out there, but uh, we'll get through them. We'll get through, uh, get to the other side. So, much love. Peace.